are live here in studio in Cincinnati, recapping day one and day two of NFL free agency. I guess technically just legal tampering period, but say, it's yeah, free agency. It's start free agency. Sorry, starts at four o'clock Eastern. That's when the new league year starts. Uh, off the rip, definitely want to talk about the Trent Williams signing that broke early doors this morning. And then we're going to look at some winners and losers from day one and day two, some fun ones there. Uh, if you're tuning in on YouTube or Twitter, really appreciate you jumping in on live. If you're listening to the audio version, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You leave a five-star review and a question. We will answer answer it on an upcoming mailbag episode and go from Upcoming there. maybe in a month or so. In a month or so. We have like over 120 questions. I recently numbered them in our doc. Over 120 questions yeah. backlogged, and that only gets us through like March 11th. We are going to have... A lot of questions. We might be going five, six days a week. Producer Mike Quinn, we might all get OT. a house together. You don't know. We, we could be TikTok stars. You know how, like, oh, did you see yeah. some of the we TikTok a, stars that get, like, we got their a own podcast houses? house? Yeah. That'd be sick, actually. That'd Let's think cool. about it. Let's think about it. Sofaro also on. Producer Sofaro, producer Mike Quinn back in studio after a little bit of a COVID scare. He's back, thriving. Um, obviously, smelling salt cracked, coffee ready to go. Let's talk a little Trent Williams. He resets the offensive tackle market. What is your initial reaction to this for, uh, for San Francisco? My bad. I'm a little on tilt here. I just saw this Skip Bayless Instagram post right before we went on air. Oh, that's, right. That's still stuck in my head. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend not going and just Google. At it. I guess but, Instagram uh, no, search I would Skip not Bayless. Go. No? Okay. Um, but Trent Williams setting the market at the tackle position at soon to be 33 years old. And from this 49ers perspective, I don't hate the deal. Like, I don't disagree with the process to do so because, one, he is the best left tackle, was the best left tackle in the NFL last season. And, two, I think Andrew Whitworth made him a lot of money. Andrew Whitworth playing to 39 years old at about as high a level as we've seen from his career. Like, teams are more willing to buy into when there is this super elite left tackle who – doesn't just need elite athleticism to get by. He's not quite the same explosive athlete he was early on in his career. But when he's as crafty and as talented as Trent Williams is, like they age gracefully. You're just you're banking on not a catastrophic injury, but catastrophic injuries can happen at any point in your career. So maybe I'll regret saying this, but I don't think it's a bad deal at all for the 49ers. Looking at some of the terms here, it's a six-year deal. Yeah, like you said, 33 years old or soon to be 33 years old. Trent Williams, six-year deal worth $138 million in total, 55.1 million guaranteed with 30.1 million guaranteed at signing that is a hefty deal for Trent Williams there was rumors that Indianapolis Colts were in the market the Kansas City Chiefs were in the market I don't think either of those teams are ponying up this money I also think there's there's definitely a reason for Trent Williams to want to stay in San Francisco he was on the Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman and talking to Sherman and Chris he said no I think George George Shahuri was also on that podcast he said hey the Shanahan offense puts you know, my best traits, my best film on tape. You know, you, you, you see it on display in that offense. So going back there, looking to play some of his best football of his career, coming off one of the highest graded seasons we've seen from an offensive tackle. Really big move for San Francisco. Also, huge winner. I know we're going to do our official winners and losers soon, but huge winner is Trent Williams. That is a hefty deal for an offensive tackle at 33 years old. And people always, you know, when you get to the draft time, people always like to make these comps and a lot of times you comp to the high-end guys at your position but it's important to remember that Trent Williams was about as freaky an offensive line prospect athletically as exists him and Tristan Wirfs probably the two freakiest in terms of just pure combine measurables he had a 34 and a half inch vertical at 315 pounds he ran a 48140 cone 463 short subtle this guy was a legit freak still is a legit freak and like I said I think 
you're going to get your money's worth there, especially. And like you said, the Shanahan scheme is perfect. All right, let's go ahead and dive into our official winners and losers here. Also, if you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, we also have interviews with former LSU wide receiver Terrace Marshall and Oklahoma State wide receiver Thailand Wallace. Both of those are pretty great. Terrace Marshall really opened up about his Waffle House order. It was fantastic. I, I love Waffle House. I've only been there once, but it was a pretty I was going to say, time. you've only been once. But only been we once, there. but it was fantastic. We met Seth Galina at Waffle House, really. That yeah. was where we first kind of came into contact with him. So definitely tune in for the interviews on the audio version of the podcast. But let's start with our biggest winner, and I love this one. Leonard Williams, Brad Spielberger, salary cap expert here at PFF, said you won't see a better deal for a player yep. this offseason. Leonard Williams signs a three-year deal worth $63 million in total. But I think the bigger number, $45 million guaranteed, and it's guaranteed over the next two years. So obviously, they can get out of the Leonard Williams contract relatively smoothly after the next two seasons. But $45 million in two years, this is Aaron Donald money. This is more than what I think De- Demarcus Lawrence will make over the next two years. This is legit paying him like a top five, top four defensive lineman in the NFL. Yes. And that's the thing. It's like he is a very good player. He is not close to Aaron Donald. He's not close to DeForest Buckner or Chris Jones. He's not close to the guys who are at the top, yet he got that range of money. And so like you said, Brad Spielberger said, this was the best contract anyone signed. He had the for a player. He had the single best deal in terms of where the market is and where the market probably like ended up at a lot of guys who are quality defensive tackles in this free agency class. Guys like Shelby Harris getting under ten million dollars, Dalvin Tomlinson eleven million dollars per year, and he gets double that. Is he making double the impact? I don't know. That's a debatable. I, I'm going to go out and limb and say no. I don't think he is going to make double the impact. I'd rather have two DTs making ten million than one DT making twenty million if that one DT is Leonard Williams, but. Goddamn, the Giants kind of put themselves in this position though yes. with the double tag. Because as soon as that second tag hit, they're screwed because they, they're either going to be paying him that $20 million this year against their cap sitting there where they couldn't really fit that in. They were going to have to make moves to fit that number in or they were going to have to extend him and the extension ended up being bidding with the floor being that tag number yeah. of 19 whatever million it was. So I think you saw the rumors that or reports that Leonard Williams, his floor was that 19 million, 20 million dollar range in terms of how much he wanted to get paid per year. And also before they actually struck this deal, which comes out to around 20 million, 21 million dollars average per year, apparently he was higher than that. He was one or two million dollars more per year before he came down to this number. I don't okay. Self-awareness is something we talk about a handful of times on this podcast, but like it doesn't behoove you in negotiating. That is, yeah, that is insane to me. Like Leonard Williams saying, "Hey, I want Aaron Donald money. Hey, I want Khalil Mack money. I want this much money. That's the impact I've had." And I know he had 13 sacks or whatever it was, but Sam Monson wrote a great article for PFF.com I think yesterday talking about teams still paying for sack numbers. You see it with Trey Hendrickson. You see it with Leonard Floyd. You see it now with Leonard Williams, like you paying for sacks, which Steve does a really good job. Steve Palazzolo does a really good job of talking about like you talk about a a defensive player that plays 800 snaps in a season sacks account for 13, you know, those 10 sack seasons. It's 10 plays. Are you paying him for those 10 plays? Are you paying him for those other plays that obviously PFF grades every single play on every single player? So here's the thing. He had a half sack the year before and then 11 and a half sacks this year. Was he a different player altogether? The grades suggest he was almost identical in terms of overall grade run defense grade pass rushing grade sacks are very fickle and very much opportunity dependent and again he the three years prior half a sack five sacks two sacks that's probably more in line with what you're going to be getting you're not going to be getting 11 and a half sacks out of dt every single year should Aaron Donald doesn't even get because his grading hasn't significantly changed and before you jump on pff grading and you guys make up stats i've seen some of those comments about the leonard williams contract it's like pff grading 
is more statistically stable than any box score it's metric sad. you've seen it for predicts sacks, sacks better than sacks. It predicts sacks better than sacks. So does pressure. So does pressure percentage. So does pass rush win rate. These stats that PFF tracks, those have value. Those have predictive power. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to collect stats, trying to collect data. Pay for has, future performance. Exactly. We're trying past. to collect data that actually has predictive power yeah. stability. Because what else is the point? Knowing a running back average four yards per carry in college, but if it has no predictive power, what's the point of the stat? That's more descriptive. We're trying to create or collect predictive data and pass rush grades pass rush win rate especially when you look at it on true pass sets that is more predictive than sacks that 13 number or an 11 and a half number is not as stable as some of the grades that we do have for Len Williams I'll leave it at that but he was a winner obviously this is a winner New York Giants maybe money better spent elsewhere but big winner Leonard Williams now let's go ahead and jump to a loser here and I this is a bonus so if you listen to the podcast you listen to two for one drafts a ton obviously we're live on Twitter and YouTube right now might get some new audience members here we talk about this John Ross story a decent amount. We yeah. said we'd do it. We said we'd sign it. We said we'd drop the John Ross story if he didn't get a contract and Once he was he's out, out of the league. NFL. But yeah. signs a one-year deal with the Giants. The John Ross story is staying under lock. So the and John Ross story fans are losers here. But it's 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 very it's very indicative. Once you hear the story, you'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense of why a guy who does something like that wouldn't not turn out to be a good. Runs a four-two, gets drafted in the top. Insanely 10, talented. And then after his but rookie deal, live up to his potential. After his rookie deal, signs a one-year, $2.5 million contract. It's less than Jared Davis, who was like an all-time just flop of a pick. So, onto an, actual, onto an actual loser here, and it's Bears fans. I mean, I don't think anyone lost more. And, and I saw the single saddest tweet this morning from Adam Schefter. I'm just going to read it straight out to you, and this is just like a knife in the heart of any Bears fan. Trent Williams also discussed deals with the Chiefs and the Bears. The Chiefs wound up signing to Joe Tooney. The Bears signed Andy Dalton and Jermaine Ifedi. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is just—I mean, Bears fans. I, we were live on Streamyard, I think, last night on Twitter when yeah. that news broke that the Bears were signing Andy Dalton for a one-year, ten million dollar deal. And every single chat, every single comment from Bears fans is just like, "I hate my life." Like, and you sometimes see like Giants fans. I had Giants fans tweeting at me that Leonard Williams is better than Demarcus Lawrence and better than Aaron Donald. Okay, that's where I had it right now, but. Bears fans are a little bit more realistic. They know Aaron. They know Andy Dalton is not taking them to the moon. They, Bears fans have a very good handle on what a bad quarterback looks like. True. They they can identify one from a mile away, and they did a good job of identifying one once they signed Andy Dalton. Bears front office. I have a maybe funny not signing so much, to break. But but the the tweet that was uh, the funniest tweet I saw was indicative of how Bears fans are feeling. This is from Barstool Carl of Barstool Chicago, went to Illinois. There's an actual blood on the Bears' hands from this move. People are going to die watching Andy Dalton play quarterback <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's incredible. All right. I have to break this one now oh, that we're live. Might as well. Raiders are signing John Brown to a one-year deal. Oh, okay. Kind of fill that Nelson That's Aguilar good. role. Maybe step ahead of Henry Ruggs again. I know they wanted Henry Ruggs to be that burner down the field, but adding speed at the position, obviously, one-year deal for John Brown. He's going to the Las Vegas Raiders, along with re-signing kind of a depth linebacker behind Corey Littleton and Nick Witkowski and Nicholas Morrow. One-year deal worth $5 million with $4.5 million guaranteed. That's a nice payday for a guy that not coveted out of the draft, has yeah. played well for the Raiders in limited stints. That's a, that's a nice payday for him. And John Brown, what's your initial thoughts on that side? I really like the John Brown move. I mean, he still offers that speed throughout their offense. I think it's very just good. Like a lateral move for Nelson from Nelson Aguilar for not a ton of money. So I like I mean, if John Brown stays healthy, I think yeah, he could he produce, healthy. if not so. outproduce, what Nelson Aguilar had last season. I think it was just over 900 yards for Nelson Aguilar last year. John Brown, I think, could mirror that production on a one-year deal and likely comes cheaper. 
You yeah. saw Nelson Aguilar get a pretty decent payday from um, the New England Patriots along with Kendrick Brown yeah. and those are Kendrick Brown, Kendrick Bourne and those guys there. Let's jump now, jump now back to a winner. Back to a winner, and it is the Jets' long-term vision yes. for this franchise because gone are the days of five years, 85 mil for C.J. Mosley, the four-year, 52.5 mil for the Le'Veon Bell, or back a little bit further than that, the five-year, 72 mil for Tremaine Johnson, who I think is out of the league right now. And it, he could still feasibly be under that contract, I think. He could still be getting money from the Jets. Yeah. That's the sad part. Um, what was wild about that offseason before you jump on why they're winners is you saw C.J. Mosley and Quan Alexander sign those monster deals at off-ball linebacker yeah. that offseason. And like at the time, you know, considering positional value, considering resetting the market for those guys, those did not look like great deals. And now you see Matt Milano sign a big deal for the Buffalo Bills recently re-signing with Buffalo. He's not even breaking the top 10 in average per year because guys like Quan Alexander and C.J. Mosley still have that on him. So th those deals, man, for the New York Jets, bad. These new deals, though, are, are, are big winners for them. Big winners for them. One, shorter term. Jets have yet to, Joe Douglas has yet to sign a deal in free agency longer than three years. He is not going to get tied in to these long-term deals and take a massive bath on them three years later and be you know out $10 million dead cap or whatever or however much they were for the Le'Veon Bell deal. These are shorter-term deals more team friendly and in my opinion they signed two massive upgrades at two valuable positions that's what free agency can help you at carl austin's the one to me three years 45 million dollars he has since he entered the league the sixth best pass rushing win rate of any edge defender in the nfl he's been better than guys like demarcus lawrence khalil mack over that span just in terms of play to play now some of that's been because he's a sub package rusher but this was the best pass rusher, had the best pass rushing pedigree over the course of his career in the free agent market. And they did not get him for the highest total in the free agent market, the highest grade, pass rushing grade of any edge rusher last year in the free agent market and did not have to break the bank for him. Like guys like that, any other year, seemingly, if this guy was a first rounder and a better team with his history of rushing the passer, he's getting over $20 million. That's, yeah. that's a straight up fact, but he was a fourth rounder comes with maybe some injury concerns, or I guess he did in the draft, hasn't really had them once come to fruition in the NFL. And now he goes to a Jets team where the single worst edge rushing group we've ever graded at PFF over the course of their history as a franchise. So that's since 2006, past 15 years. They haven't had a single guy earn a pass rushing grade on the edge of 76.9 or higher over that span. That's insane. Some of that's because of how Rex Ryan used their edge rushers. They didn't like covet that position. It wasn't really in that defense. But then since then... They have tried to use them, and they've just sucked. That is insane. Carl Lawson fixes that. And then Corey Davis, I think there's reasons to be encouraged about his breakout this past year as being not necessarily a fluke. And, yes, some of that's A.J. Brown. He's still not, like, a number one. But even against man coverage last year, just when the other defense played man coverage, he averaged 2.44 yards per route. It's a very good figure when, like, you can't really fake. You can't scheme a guy against man coverage. He's got to beat him. And Corey Davis was more last year than ever before. So. I mean, paying Corey Davis after what was objectively a career year for the former first rounder, just three years, $37.5 million, that puts him right at 21st among wide receivers in average salary per year. That is a good deal. Good. That is a smart deal by the New York Jets, similar to the Carl Lawson pick. I, I mean, and you didn't mention it because obviously Jared Davis has been a bit of a bust since being drafted in the first round by the but Detroit Lions, but one-year deal worth up to $7 million. I don't even think that base salary clears four. Robert Salah obviously looking for uh, some versatile athletic linebackers at the very least there in New York. And I think bringing him in on a one-year flyer, not even close to a bad deal for the New York Jets. Jumping now back to losers. This one's kind of obvious. 
Derek Carr. Derek, Derek Carr is a big loser. Lost Rodney Hudson, who you look at, you know, just on the outside looking in, his relationship with Rodney Hudson was massive. I mean, they were they were the two guys left yep. from the season before John Gruden and Mike Mayock took over. Then you obviously lost Richie. No, Gabe, Gabe Jackson was left too. Right? Oh, Gabe Jackson too. Yeah. Then you have Gabe, but Gabe Jackson's rumored to be released or is still on yeah. his way out, something along those lines. Gabe Jackson out, Richie Incognito released, and then you obviously have Trent Brown traded traded to the New England Patriots. Four of five starters gone along the offensive line. I know there are reports from Raiders beat writers that they love backup Andre James, I think a former undrafted player out of UCLA who in his one, or he played only like maybe 50 to 100 snaps in 2019, Mm -hmm. graded out pretty poorly for PFF, small sample size, but... I don't think Andre James is going to cut it. I don't think Denzel Good, too, their depth player last year is also a free agent, still unsigned. Like, yeah. I don't know. And Rodney Hudson, from the reports I saw, requested his release, yeah. took a $3.5 million cut from his salary to get released from the Las Vegas Raiders. That, again, a lot of concerns for the Raiders overall. We've talked about their roster building a ton on this podcast, but bigger concerns for Derek Carr. What exactly are they going to do? I think that's exactly it. You have you lost four of your five starters heading into last season. Like, obviously, you had some injuries and Cognito got hurt. But you could have returned all those guys back. Like, you could have feasibly fit all those guys in under the cap and played and had that good offensive line that was, you know, one of – it's a top five offensive line when all those guys are healthy. Now all those guys are gone. You got Colton Miller. He's a fine pass-blocking left tackle. But you need four spots now. And I don't care how much you love Andre James. There's not a great history of guys who were undrafted free agents who then as a rookie when he played – had a 1.9 pass blocking grade on 62 snaps. Admittedly, small sample size. But I don't care how much you love him. He's not going to be Rodney Hudson. Rodney Hudson, the best, single best pass protecting center in the NFL over the past decade. He's not going to be that guy. You're not going to step in and be Rodney Hudson from day one. That's damn near impossible to expect that. So the other two guys who got meaningful snaps last year who now look like they're going to get playing time, Brandon Parker at tackle, 55.3 pass blocking grade last year. John Simpson at guard. The Clemson rookie, 40.1 pass blocking grade last year. Yeah, they'll probably get better. Yeah, you can bank on some development from young players like that. They're not going to be Trent Brown, Richie Incognito, or Gabe Jackson. They're not going to be at that quality level. You are putting Derek Carr behind the eight ball right now. And that's that was kind of, I thought that was their plan, was to roll with O-line, their strength going forward to kind of just replenish that being it. I don't know what the plan is now. Do you think that locks them in the offensive line at 17? I know I've seen maybe... A- I mean, you should never lock yourself into a position of course, at 17. Of course, of course. But, but I mean, this is the Raiders we're talking about. Yeah. They locked themselves but in it- Cleveland Furl at number four overall. Yeah. But they, yeah, so I think they're off the board at edge now. You have, obviously, Furl, Crosby, and then you sign Yannick Ngakwe. That was one people thought they could be, could be still in that linebacker. But the offensive line need, so great. And the tackle class, pretty good. I think, like, Christian Derrissaw would make a ton of sense now at this point. I think the move they shouldn't make that they could make is Elijah Vera Tucker of USC, like a yeah. prioritizing the interior offensive line. I, I'm just, yeah. I don't love the value of that pick. I don't exactly. love the positional value of getting an interior offensive lineman with that 17th overall pick. Maybe they trade back and try to add multiple pieces in what is a very good offensive line class, both at tackle and on the interior. I think that would be where I'm leaning if I'm a Las Vegas Raiders fan, kind of rooting for something, trading back from 17, maybe adding two tackles and an interior offensive lineman in this draft, getting younger at the position, trying to develop some of those guys. Because, And I don't think they should rule out bringing back veterans, maybe bringing back a Denzel Good, maybe looking at some of the other mm-hmm. guys available, maybe Mitchell Schwartz, who I think right now is a top 10 free agent available on PFF.com. If he plays if he plays if he if he uh, obviously doesn't choose to retire Raiders very interesting spot where they're at right now I mentioned pff.com go to pff.com check out 
Um, all the stuff that we have, they are on free agency and updated trackers, deal grader, and use free agency 30, promo code free agency 30 to save 30% off um, any PFF subscription only this week. Free agency 30, promo code free agency 30. All right, back to winners here. Cam Newton. I think, you know, people we've hated a little bit on the Patriots moves. Our Monday slash Tuesday recording of the podcast, we talked a lot about the Patriots now have spent the second most guaranteed money of any team in an offseason in NFL history and haven't gotten significantly better outside of maybe adding at the tight end position. Yeah, people kind of hate it on that. But it's like, go look up and down the roster. What position groups would you say are high-quality position groups? Offensive line. Tight end. Tight end. Maybe the secondary, but the secondary is one where you have the big question marks in terms of guys who are old now at this yeah. point, the McCourty brothers. Stephon Gilmore. And I think they got better along the defensive line. Yeah, you're Matthew better, Judon. but like, is that look at that defensive line compared to defensive lines around the NFL? Like Matthew Judon, Chase Winovich, uh, the second round of last year from Michigan, whose name's escaping me now at the moment. Josh Uche, uh, Josh Uche. Wise. Like, is that a top ten defensive line in the NFL? I don't think so. Like, there are much better defensive lines up and down. There's no one stud impact pass rusher there. You have a lot of like solid. I think the best way to sum it up overall before we talk about how Cam Newton is a winner adding Hunter Henry and John Smith is that they got better. And if you look at PFF's improvement index on PFF.com that Kevin Cole writes, they are the most improved team in the NFL right now. And But here's the thing. They are the most improved team and they overpaid to get there. And maybe they had to because they had the cap situation and it's hard Mm -hmm. to get maybe people to come to New England with just Cam Newton under center. But I do think that they overpaid to get better to a point where it's going to be very difficult for them to pay over $135 million guaranteed and live up to those expectations yeah. that come with that salary cap figure, like 10, 11 wins. Yeah. But talk to me about the winner. Talk to me about Cam so Newton. Cam Newton, obviously a winner. He's throwing to Demir Bird as his number two option last year. And you get Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar. And obviously Bourne was a third stringer in San Francisco. Aguilar, a career kind of up and down between Philly and then now Las Vegas. That... These aren't number one receivers. They might not even be number two wide receivers, but they're still upgrades. And obviously the tight end position, it's kind of building this team around what Cam Newton does best and what they tried to do with Cam Newton last year in that running game and why they drafted Asi Asi and Dalton Keene in the third round last year. And we're willing to admit those were mistakes of picks and now upgrade at that position. So I think you're going to see the return of the Aaron Hernandez, Rob Gronkowski packages. Mm -hmm. Now, quality-wise, these guys are not Aaron Hernandez, Rob Gronkowski on the football field in their prime. They are capable tight ends, though. They're, they are not the needle movers we usually say to invest in a tight end position. The guys that can win handily one-on-one routinely, the Darren Wallers, Travis Kelsey's, George Kittles. There's three of them. There's really not a lot more in the NFL that exists at the tight end position, sadly. But these are, for what they're going to run, it's going to help Cam Newton out a lot. Yeah, last comment on the Patriots situation. You know, in that in the peak of the Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez era, they ran 12 personnel 59% of the time, most in the NFL. No team since 2011 has cleared more than 50% in a season. I think they inch close to that number, running some 12, yeah. running some 13 personnel, getting these tight ends on the football field. I mean, you're paying them to exactly. be on the field. At like, this if point. you don't have Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith on the field at the same time for at least a majority of your snaps, clearing that 50% number, paying them this you're much money is going to be very difficult to understand. But I think you mentioned this too but like getting tight ends that can win over the middle of the field like henry like john smith is going to help cam newton that's where he's had more success than pushing the ball deep on the outside all right now jumping back to the loser side um titans pass defense taking a little bit of a loss releasing malcolm butler releasing adoree jackson that secondary wasn't good last year 
and and I think I saw Bill Barnwell of ESPN tweet this, and it's very true. It wasn't good last year, but it was expensive. And now they're trying to get better, maybe get younger. Obviously going to lean on Christian Fulton, the former, what, second-round pick out of LSU in yeah. 2020. This is going to be very difficult to overcome, though. And I know they added Bud Dupree. I know they added Danico Autry. Harold yeah. Landry is supposed to develop that former Boston College defensive end that we really liked coming out. Mm. But in the secondary, outside of you know Kevin Byer, this is a, this is a bleak group. Yeah, so it wasn't good last year because, one, Dory Jackson was hurt. And then two, like his replacements were like it was not Malcolm Butler's fault. And it it had the potential to be good and bounce back this year because of those two guys, because those guys have a track record of playing well. Adoree Jackson is kind of is a straight up hit at the cornerback position for a first rounder. His coverage grades, his first three years, 75.2, 69.0, 82.5. And then he got hurt last year. Obviously, the patella injury missed a good portion of the season. But like. To cut a guy like that, and obviously a fifth-year option, not particularly cheap. I think it was over ten million dollars. But man, that's like what you—that's what you want when you draft a cornerback in the first round. That is—that's not an Isaiah Wilson situation here, where you're cutting yeah. bait because the guy was, you know, not what you expected. He was exactly what they expected, exactly what they wanted, and to cut him so you can sign edge rusher in free agency. And I kept—I was on Titans Radio maybe like a couple months ago, and they asked me like which. Would you clear Butler or Dory? I'm like, neither. Like, that is what you want. You want two quality cornerbacks if you want to compete now in the AFC. And I don't know what their plan is in adding cornerback talent, maybe looking towards the draft. But damn, you're going to go up against the Bills. You're going to go up against the Chiefs come playoff time if you want to win a Super Bowl. And you're going to have to stop those two groups of wide receivers. And you're going to be doing it with Christian Fulton now. Obviously, we like Christian Fulton coming out. Didn't play much or didn't show much as a rookie that was you know, exceptional. But like you still need, like I said, you need more than one cornerback. So I don't know what they're going to do there at corner. But the pass defense took a step back when they cut those guys. I also think, you know, playing devil's advocate a little bit about them being a bit losers and the decision to release Adoree Jackson, they might not, might know more about, about the injury, injury situation. And I Fair. do think Adoree has battled a lot of injuries, lower leg injuries in his career. And I think that could be something that they're looking at. But when he's been healthy, he's been very good. Yeah. Specifically at outside corner, he's one of the highest graded outside corners in the NFL when healthy. I think that's since 2018. PFF underscore Steve tweeting that metric out. Back to the winner's column here. Steve. Shout out, Steve. Yeah. Have to shout out, Steve. All right. Back to the winner's column here. Football team fans. And oh, I'll yeah. start. Can I start? Go ahead. You're not going to find a bigger Ryan Fitzpatrick fan at PFF than probably me. He's one of my favorite players to watch. Hashtag fun to watch. If you listen to the podcast all the time, you know the joke there. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, you add him on a very modest deal. I think it's one year, $10 million, not too much. Doesn't rule them out of going and getting aggressive in the draft like we've advocated them to do and go up and get a quarterback. Go go up and get Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance. Just brings in a contingency plan if you can't you know, pull off a trade like that. But they also added William Jackson III, a PFF favorite in 2017. Now in that secondary, you got William Jackson III and Kendall Fuller on the outside. One of your favorites, Jimmy Moreland in the slot. Cameron Curl, who outperformed expectations as a late-round pick last year. And then obviously Landon Collins playing up in the box. That is a good secondary with a talented pass rush up front. Ron Payne, Montez Sweat, Chase Young. They might not score a lot of points offensively. Ryan Fitzpatrick might throw a lot of picks. But I do think that defense is pretty legit, and I think they've made two really good moves in free agency. Yeah, I think that's why we said the fans are the winners here. Yes. Because watching Ryan Fitzpatrick versus watching Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins, what you saw at quarterback last year, night and day entertainment value-wise, at, at the very least. Not saying you're necessarily 100% going back to the playoffs, although I think they should be right up there with the Cowboys as the favorite in the NFC East. 
now to win that division because of all the young talent they've drafted defensively. Obviously, a receiver as well, Terry McLaurin. In recent years, they have hit on a bunch of draft picks, and that's when you kind of got this window to make a little plays, whether it's at cornerback, uh, obviously signing Ryan Fitzpatrick. But William Jackson, in my opinion, big upgrade over Ronald Darby. Did not cost that much to get $14 million a year, a small price to pay for what we say. It's the second most valuable position on the football field after quarterback. And like this is the makings of a very, very good team for a while here in Washington. Obviously still have to figure out the quarterback position, but I think this gives you a a one-year buffer of like Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. Nick Foles won a Super Bowl. Ryan Fitzpatrick has had that high end, has had those high end runs in the past. I love this take from you. With the defense like Washington and what they have, this gives you a shot. This gives you a better shot than Andy Dalton. This gives you a better shot than uh, probably like even like a James Wentz. Like I, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick can get you in the door there if he, you know, he's had those he's had those moments. So I think this is if you really weren't going to have a shot at a top guy, mm-hmm. and they just don't at nineteen overall. I like this move. And I still think, too, like because I've seen some Washington fans want to chase a higher ceiling, want to trade you know, multiple first-round picks to go up and get a, you know, uh, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, or Trey Lance. You can still do that. Like signing Fitzpatrick to, yeah. the, Fitzpatrick to this deal doesn't keep you from that. What it does allow you to do, though, is if, they, if, you don't, if the price is too high, price is too much to go up and get a quarterback. And you saw ESPN's Adam Schefter say at least four quarterbacks are going in the first six or seven picks to try and get all the way up there. You're going to have to trade, you know, two first round picks, potentially more than that. No, absolutely more than that. That's going to be very difficult to do. And on draft day, if you can't pull it off, having Ryan Fitzpatrick there, hoping you hit that high side of variance on their way to a deep postseason run. I don't know. We'll see. At least it'll be fun to watch. That's why football team fans are a winner. Wanted to add a little bit to the breaking news. John, John Brown's deal with the Raiders. One year, 3.75 million worth up to five and a half mil. And we've talked a little bit about on other shows here during the PFF stint throughout free agency about how the wire receiver market is removed to be soft and and teams aren't looking to pay a Kenny Galladay 20 million or even 18 million plus average per year. I think it's because you can get a John Brown for 375. It's because you can get guys in the draft in the second. Well, it's because of the draft. Yeah, the draft. Over the past two years, we've seen really good receiver classes come in. Guys drafted in, you know, in the second and third rounds really contribute out of the gate. Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, these guys coming up. You know, Justin Jefferson was drafted late in the first round and broke Randy Moss's record. So teams are seeing this, knowing how cheap you can get a rookie receiver in the back end of the first or even at the top of the second. Why pay Kenny Galladay as much as you want? Yeah, it's basically like I have a backup plan. I don't need you. Mm-hmm. And it's supply, the classic supply and demand. You know, I went to business school. I know Hello. this. I, someone else can explain it to you better than I can. I actually don't know. I really can't explain the concept that well. But <laughs> it's supply and demand. Just know that. Supply and demand. There it is, man. I, I just took a quick peek at the live YouTube feed. The side profile of your hair, Quinn, throw it up. Is it shit? It's not shit, but it looks kind of interesting. It's got a nice... It's got a nice wave, nice volume to it. I really did nothing when I woke up this morning. Yeah. Welcome oh my to the club. God. All right. Uh, now I'm going to jump back down to the losers here. The cap isn't real crowd you have listed as a loser. I mean, the Saints had to shed left and right and then kicked it into the future. Here's they, they don't So they don't have a young quarterback. They're not paying a quarterback. And you see teams that aren't paying quarterbacks making deals left and right. Uh, most notably, you know, New England Patriots being able to sign a bunch of these free agents. Saints, on the other hand, aren't paying quarterback, having to cut all these deals, and then listen to some of the cap hits they don't have, not this year, but that they're going to have in 2022 that if they want to get rid of, they're going to have to, again, kick more money down the road. 
or whatnot. They have Michael Thomas on the books for $24.7 million. Cam Jordan, who's going to be 33 years old then, $22.7 million. Andrus Pete, $15.5 million. Alvin Kamara, $14.5 million. A 34-year-old Malcolm Jenkins at $11.7 million. And they have the seventh most cap liabilities right now, as it stands, in 2022. And that is without trying to sign Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchick, Marcus Williams, Marcus Davenport, Tron Armstead, and Jameis Winston, who are all not under contract that year for them. That's absurd. They're trying to run it back and trying to like reload. There's not really a reload to be had when you don't have Drew Brees at quarterback, when you're rolling it with Jameis Winston, obviously trying to catch lightning in a bottle with Jameis, but like it's coming to pay. The cap is real and they're not able to add much talent to this roster and they're not, they're going to have a whale of a time to retain that talent. And like I said, those cap hits aren't, those are all very bad cap hits to have on your roster. I mean, they have to be point. looking to move on from Jameis and Taysom next there. year, right? I mean, we'll and hope to go get a rookie quarterback to make some of this sense. Because, like, if you have cap hits over $15 million for Andres Pete, Cameron Jordan, and Michael Thomas, you're going to eventually have to have a cost-controlled rookie at quarterback. Because you just, you know, yeah. I don't know, man. That's going to be really tough, especially if they want to keep some of this talent. There's no New Orleans Saints fan in the world that doesn't want to keep Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchick. And Marcus Davenport has developed. You traded two first round picks for or you used kind of technically two first round picks on Marcus Davenport you're going to tell me at the development he's made out of UTSA you don't want to sign him to that extension man that is going to be tough the other the other cap isn't real one to bring up is obviously Atlanta Falcons as well and the NFC South they had to make some cap magic with Matt Ryan now his cap hit in 2022 is 48 million dollars 48 fucking million dollars for a 37 year old Matt Ryan in 2022 43 million dollars in 2023 and again, if they want to get out of that, they're going to have a dead cap, more than Carson Wentz is costing the Eagles right now to get out of that next year. So you better hope that guy doesn't get hurt. You know, you, that's the risk you run when the cap isn't real. Dude, I think Skip Bayless might be listening to the live show. He Did tweeted he? out, Pro Football Focus says Belichick over, overspent on overrated free agents. Did he hear the Instagram photo oh, comment man. that you Did dropped? <laughs> that's incredible. Oh, man, that is awesome. Love it, to that, see that. The picture isn't the thing that's got me on tilt. It's the caption about his wife undressing him as soon as he comes in the house that's got me just what like, you don't have that no all right just kidding all right moving now to uh i think we're back on winners back on winners the last cast winner. isn't real what crowd was the last losers we're back on winners here and it's the cowboys slash ravens cowboys slash ravens they did not in my opinion get worse over the course of free agency and they are going to collect they were number one and number two since the inception of compensatory picks and they're going to collect, as it stands right now, Ravens are set to get a fourth-rounder for Matthew Judon, a fourth-rounder for Yannick Ngakwe, seventh-rounder for Chris Moore, as projected by OverTheCap.com. Cowboys, a fourth-rounder for Andy Dalton, wild. Fifth-rounder for Chido Beauzier, sixth-rounder for Kim Irving, also wild. And a seventh-rounder for Joe Thomas. Collecting up draft capital to get young, cheap talent and not getting much worse in the process. That's long-term success. That's how you continue to be good as a franchise. And playing that compensatory pick game we've seen a smart decision to make it helps in the long run like that added draft capital that can help you move up for a trade you get an extra fourth round pick that can move you up 40 30 spots or 20 yeah. spots in the second round 20 or 15 spots or so in the second round 20 or in the third that helps a lot when making deals like that especially now that you can trade those picks so that is a strategy that i can get on board with in free agency rather than caking your pants and 
regretting it two years later. I mean, we've seen a lot of people praise the New England Patriots for what they've done. I think Lewis Riddick of ESPN said that they were putting on a clinic, spending as much, you know, over $130 million in guaranteed money. That's the money clinic the Jets season. put on over the past decade. I will say I mean, this. If the Patriots weren't making these moves, if the Jets were making these moves, exactly. it, it would not be the same story. I'm telling you that right now. And that's the thing. It's like people look at that roster. It's like objectively look at the talent on that roster and then say to yourself, the reason you think it's going to go 10-6 or 11-5 or whatever people are saying they're going to go is because Bill Belichick's head coach. And that that's a real thing. Yes. He's the best head coach in the NFL. Yes. But it's still not a roster that's built to compete with even in your own division with the Buffalo Bills, in my opinion, Miami Dolphins. If, I don't know, Tua Tagovailoa takes any sort of step forward, they're just better rosters top to bottom than the Patriots are. Yeah. And, and again, like you don't regret it now because, oh, wow, I just got all that talent. But in two years it gets more expensive yep. and you might. So what I was going to say is, you know, so many people, Lewis Rick, obviously Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp right now getting in on PFF saying they spent overspent on overrated free agents. I think not enough people bring up what the Ravens have done. You're going to get two fourth round compensatory picks for using, losing unique Ngakwe and Matthew Judon, a seventh for more. And then in addition to that, Signing Kevin Zeitler, Zeitler. a very modest deal. I think the, the, the Tyus Bowser and Pernell McPhee deals were very low for them. They yeah. can come in and contribute along the defensive line, keeping their guys in-house like that. I really do think the Baltimore Ravens continue to show that one of the smarter teams in the NFL, and they, I think that free agency, though, they don't have a big splash signing. They didn't put on a clinic, so to speak, and sign two tight ends to top five deals. I still think the Baltimore Ravens have had a really good free agency. And the Zeitler deal, to clarify, because he was cut, does not factor into the compensatory yeah. pick formula. So if you're signing guys who are cut by other teams, no harm, no foul on your compensatory picks. Signing guys who were just left other teams, their contract was up, left other teams like you know, the Chiefs signing Joe Tooney, that's going to factor in. That's going to nix one of your compensatory picks uh, if you were to lose players in free agency yourself. All righty. Moving now back to the losers column. I think we only have one Last more Last loser of the day here. Hit me. And it's this is the Pittsburgh Steelers Super Bowl hopes. And they kind of knew this going in, but you just see all the chips away at this roster that was kind of already an aging roster. But Bud Dupree, Mike Hilton, Tyson Alualu, Matt Filer, Juju Smith-Schuster, Vince Williams, Pouncey retires, might lose Alejandro Villanueva, and not going to be able to replenish it. And then you don't have a lot of guys under contract past this season in terms of, like, it is kind of right now this is what they were playing for this year but they still could not make it work enough with obviously big ben's egregiously large cap hit and cap situation there in pittsburgh to where we saw how last season ended and it wasn't good it wasn't pretty down the stretch for them point to me and show me how they got better this offseason point to me like any even like young player development who's the young guy who's going to take that step forward that's going to make them better i don't see it like the wide receiving core possibly but Big Ben's going to be shitting his pants in the pocket with that offensive line right now. He already was last year. He had the quickest time to throw of any quarterback uh, because he was terrified of getting hurt again. Like He was legitimately did not look like the Big Ben of old when pressure came on, was not willing to stand in there the way he was prior or early in his career. So I just think the Steelers, they tried to do the run it back like the Tampa Bay Bucks. And this is not running. This is not running back. I mean, you look at what the Steelers' offensive line projected right now because they did sign, re-sign Zach Banner. They have Chukwuma 
Okororafor. I can't pronounce that last name. It's just Okorafor. Okorafor. Yeah. I apologize. Zach Banner and Okorafor add off the tackle. Then Kevin finish. Dotson, BJ Finney, and David DeCastro on the interior. Last season, Ben Rossberger's average time to throw, according to Eric Eager, he was on a free agency show with us recently, was the fastest in the NFL. It can't get any faster. You can't get any more efficient with what Big Ben was doing. Low average depth of target, relying on guys to make plays after the catch. Like if they want a downfield passing attack, they're going to lose Juju Smith-Schuster. Obviously, you have to hope that Deontay Johnson. That one's whatever. Yeah, that uh, one's the whatever. receiving core is where you're banking on. That's going to change my team yeah. around. That's mm-hmm. good young receiving core. I could debate that. But then there's a lot of other places on the roster where that they're not going to get better. They can only really get worse at this point with injuries slash guys getting old. Yeah, I mean, the Matt Filer, Mike Hilton losses might be bigger losses for this Pittsburgh Steelers team than actually what Juju Smith-Schuster, if he does sign elsewhere, which I think that's yeah. where he's leaning. Uh, man, Steelers Super Bowl hopes with Big Ben. And that doesn't we didn't bring up the fact that Big Ben just didn't play well last year. Despite the 11-0 start, he did not play well last year, ranked people, outside people the top saw 20. That one, though. Yeah. I don't know if people saw that one. There were some Steelers fans that didn't see that one. I remember when Sam said on the NFL podcast that he was the weak link. He was the one holding them back and got absolutely roasted for it. It's like, what are you talking about? They're 11-0. There were some Steelers fans who had rose-colored glasses on with Ben Rosberger. He did not play well last year. He was not a top 15, top 20 quarterback, according to PFF grades, which yeah. is more stable. We want to talk about stability. More stable than passer rating. More stable than yards per attempt. More stable than completion percentage. Passing grades, you see that predictive power. Big Ben has to take a monster leap forward for this team to even get a deep postseason run on the books. Yeah, it was his lowest grade since 2006. His lowest grade season. And like an elbow injury on your throwing arm. I don't think that bounces back at that age. You're not going to get 2015, 2016 Big Ben. Stop. All right. On the audio version of the podcast, we are going to jump to interviews. But for the YouTube live, Twitter live version, this is it. Let's finish with this. Big, big name still left on the board. You have obviously Kenny Galladay being a prime, you know, a big one. Anthony Harris still on the table. What signing do you think Anthony actually Harris happens? a big name. I He's bet Anthony Harris gets available? like $8 million a year. Really? I just bet he does. Wow. Okay, well then, okay. give me give me a give me a prime landing spot. Give me a big move you want to see. I, I still, man, I would have loved to have seen the Giants go for Kenny Galladay. I've been pounding the table for that. Now, they dropped Dick for Leonard Williams, so that may not happen anymore. But I would still love to see that. And, and I am very curious to see where some of these wide receivers go because I do think Will Fuller, exceptionally talented, been pen, penning him to the Green Bay Packers. Possibly they can make the money work. And I think a Dory Jackson, if healthy. I don't know if healthy, whatever. You said maybe that's why they cut him. But that dude is a young cornerback who has been productive over the course of his career with you know not a great pass rush there in Tennessee. That's why they broke the bank for Bud Dupree is because their pass rush has not gotten home over the course of the past handful of seasons, and they've been trying everything they have. And finally, all of a sudden said, screw it. We're going to prioritize that over everything. So I think someone could be getting a steal if Adoree Jackson's – and like that's he, he should have if he was – fully healthy been getting more than Shaq Griffin more than William Jackson over what we've seen from him over the course of his career man Nora Jackson big fish we'll see. big domino to fall here that's going to do it for the live YouTube and live Twitter version of the podcast if you're listening to the audio version tune into interviews with LSU's Terrace Marshall and Oklahoma State wideout Thailand Wallace until next time Mike Austin oh. Gale Mike Renner producer Mike Quinn two for one drafts wish Now joining the 241 Drafts podcast is former LSU wide receiver Terrace Marshall Jr. And where I'd like to start, Terrace, really appreciate you having on the show, is talk about what had to have been an absolutely absurd 
recruiting experience. Former five-star recruit, consensus five-star, had what, like more than 25 scholarship offers coming out as a senior, you know, junior, senior in high school. How, how insane was that, you know, coming out of high school? Uh, man, I just look at it as a blessing from God, man. Uh, I mean, I, I've been grinding all my life. Ever since I've been, ever since my pops put me in sports at five years old, man. And, uh, it's just a blessing to just, you know, finally see all, all the things that I've been working for uh, pay off. And so you said you've been in sports since five years old. What sports all did you play? Uh, I grew up playing basketball, uh, football, obviously. Uh, uh, I ran a little track in high school, too. Gotcha. For for basketball, what kind of player are we talking? You, you banging threes? You a, you a slasher, three and D type? I, I need to know the game you're playing. Man, I was pretty much, I could do it all, bro. Okay, I, okay, I LeBron, ease up. Ease up, <laughs> Michael Jordan. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I played a, I played a two and a three, man. Uh, I was uh, mostly on the wing. Uh, I, they'll pass to me. I'll take it baseline or I'll, I'll shoot the J. <laughs> Love that, man. Very cool. Um, you know, fast forwarding to kind of the experience you had at LSU. Obviously, you got thrusted into the limelight this past season, even though it was somewhat of an abbreviated season due to um, COVID nineteen. You had a ton of opportunity or more opportunity um, with Justin Jefferson leaving and those things. Jamar Chase opting out. Let's start there. This twenty twenty season. How much you know? How much of an improvement do you feel like you took this past season with the added opportunity, and how much did you grow as a receiver, in your opinion? Uh, man, uh, I took that off season, you know, uh, right before my junior season. I mean, I took it as business. Uh, you know, I, uh, I laid off everything, you know, that if it, if it didn't relate to football, uh, I mean, I didn't want to do it. Uh, even with uh, COVID and everything going on, uh, I didn't let that get in the way of my grind. So, you know, I, uh, I just had my head down. I mean, I knew what type of year, what type of year I was heading into, and I knew it was going to be important for me. And uh, man, I just uh, grinded and did everything I could, and you know, just take advantage of every opportunity I was given. So, so when you went into that off season, obviously, you know, all business, trying to improve, trying to be the best. Where did you feel like you had the biggest areas of improvement? Was it route running, ball skills, strength, speed? What did you like primarily address when you were looking to improve that off season? Uh, just my explosiveness, my explosiveness, man. Uh, just coming off the ball even harder, you know. Uh, just making the DB feel me even more. Uh, just uh, polishing up my routes. Uh, I know my routes got polished up, you know, within that, that span of a year. So, I mean, just uh, just overall, just my game, man, just my strength, you know, using my, my size as an advantage. Uh, you know, just, just waking up, knowing, you know, just trying to, trying, to, trying to reach my full potential. You know, another transition that you made going from 2018 and 2019 to 2020 was playing a lot more out, uh, in the slot. You know, the LSU offense over the past few years has really prioritized the slot receiver position with a ton of targets. You saw that with Justin Jefferson in 2019. What kind of transitions to your game did you have to make or changes to your game you had to make to make that move into the slot? Oh, uh, man, my move to the slot from the outside, uh, I just told me that I had to play even smaller. You know, uh, you know you're playing big, you're out there on the perimeter by yourself on that holler. And it's like when you move inside, you got to play smaller. You got to be more swift. You got to drop your weight even more. Uh, so, I mean, it just helped me elevate my game even more. It helped me, you know, be more diverse. And uh, just uh, it just helped me show the scouts that, you know, I can play anywhere on the field. You know, let's go back a little bit and talk about your 2019 season, 671 yards, 13 touchdowns, playing in what was an absolutely star-studded. LSU offense, arguably the best collegiate offense we've seen in a long time with Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Jamar Chase. 
Let's start with the receiver group. How much of a you know competitive fire did you have playing with so many talented receivers at LSU? And LSU, in a lot of ways, has been wide receiver you for a long time. You know, I was talking to Bucky Brooks of NFL Media recently, and he's you know he talks about how LSU has been able to develop at that position such at a such at a high level. What was your relationship with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, and how much did having them on your football team, you know, with you as teammates, really create a competitive fire and make you better? No, it was real tight, man. Just a great group of guys. Uh, we was always competitive on and off the field. We had a touchdown bet for uh, $100 in Waffle House. So whoever had the most touchdowns, they were going to treat the other two to that treat. So, uh, I mean, we just, we know, we always, you know, stay humble. And uh, everything we did, you know, we did it for each other and ourselves at the end of the day for the team. Uh, I mean, we just kept each other motivated. We all worked hard off the field. We had our fun off the field. And, uh, man, I mean, I still reminisce on the times, you know, from 2019. Wishing that I can go back, you know, and just relive those moments. Uh, yeah, man. So that definitely, we, we cherished those times, man. It was it was fun. Was that $100 every week or $100 at the end of the season? No, nah, $100 at the end of the season. I was about man. to say, That's dude, you're eating Waffle House every single week. I don't know how you're doing it as oh, an athlete. What's your uh, what's your go-to Waffle House order? Man, I'll probably say I'll get the pork chop dinner with some eggs and grits, uh, eggs and cheese, grits and cheese. And I'll get a waffle, bro. I tear that up, dude. That sounds like an absolute treat, man. That's awesome. Yeah, you gotta um, go try that. You gotta. Go I do. I've been to Waffle House once. I've been there once. Yeah. It's not really here around Cincinnati. I'm also from the West Coast, but yeah. I, I might have to get that order. I might have to get the Terrace Marshall order here pretty soon. That's that's yeah. funny, man. That's awesome. And call that TM six, bro. Just call that TM six. I'm in, man. That sounds fantastic. Um, another, you know, another part of that too that I wanted to um, discuss with you is how much in co- are you in contact with Jefferson or Chase a ton? Now I know, obviously, Chase opted out this season, but how much do you talk with those guys still? I talk to those boys all the time, man. You know, just uh, we always talk. We just we close friends like that. Uh, uh, Jets, he always, you know, he gonna tell us, soak us, the, soak, give us the game. You know, he he's ahead of us a year, so uh, he'd already been through it, been through the process. So, I mean, we just pretty much just listening to them, you know, staying humble and, uh, man, just waiting on our time. Very cool, man. So something I wanted to ask you about, too, was um, given in a given game week, the wide receiver position is so interesting to me because I do think there is a game within a game at wide receiver. You're going against a cornerback, you know, one-on-one a lot, and you have to kind of prepare for each opponent differently. In a given game week, how much film are you watching on an opposing defense, and what exactly are you looking for when you're preparing for a certain opponent? Oh, uh, man, I'm watching film uh, every day throughout the week. Uh, I'm breaking down the film. Uh, I'll start off the film, start off looking at the red zone. Then I'll go to the middle of the field. Then I'll just go to the coming out part. Uh, I mean, I break it down tremendously. Uh, uh, the coaches did a, a great job of helping me do that. And uh, just uh, things I just look for in the cornerback, whether it's his feet, his feet uh, just small movements, whatever you do with his hands. Uh, anything I can do, you know, to help me prepare for the, for the next opponent. And how does that film preparation change in the offseason? For example, what are you looking at now on film? Are you watching a lot of film on yourself? Do you turn on film on NFL guys? What exactly are you looking for on film these days? Yeah, I watch film on myself, uh, and I definitely watch film on uh, Julio and D-Hop, uh, Mike Thomas, those type of guys with uh, with those big body frames, you know, they can, they can still do it all. Uh, I mean, uh, just, you know, just more in the offseason, you're looking at the things that, you know, you can critique yourself on and uh, get better. You know, you want to make all your weaknesses some of your strengths also. So um, just doing as much as I can to polish it up and uh, take it to the field. You know, something that PFF sees is a big strength for you. One, it's size, but also a part of that size is your catch radius and your ability to attack the ball in the air and those things. Do you feel like that your size, your catch radius, 
you know, the ability to attack the ball in the air. Do you feel like that is a strength for you and something that separates you in this class? Or what do you feel like your biggest strengths are? What is your separating factor in this uh, receiver group? Oh, uh, man, definitely that, too. Uh, and uh, to say, man, what separated me from the rest, bro, is uh, there's there's different types of receivers in this draft. There's like a different – there's like six different categories of receivers. And uh, I feel like you get every every last one of those categories all in one, you know, when you look at me. Uh, I can do – I can do anything you ask me to do. Uh, man, I can play, you know, three levels of the field. I can go deep. Uh, third down, I can run a slam, break the defender down and get the first down. I can run a deep route across the middle, man, and break it, break it for 60 yards. Uh so it's uh man, I just feel like you're getting everything, you know, all in one. So why not go after a guy, you know, you can get it all in one instead of just looking for one category. You're also getting an elite Waffle House recommendation. I don't know if teams are taking that into consideration, but it's 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 up there for sure. <laughs> um, the 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 last thing, and we can finish with this. I'd be interested to know, you know, what work you're doing right now to prepare for the LSU Pro Day, or and what position drills are are you prioritizing most? Are there certain drills that you want to hit on, and you're you know really circling on your calendar, like I have to do well here, and and um, how that process has gone for you so far? Oh, man, uh, man, just all of the drills, man, I look at it as, man, I'm just playing football. You know, uh, at the end of the day, I'm just going out there just being myself. You know, just trying to – I'm only going to be my best if I be myself. And uh, I'm just pretty much just working on every route in the route tree, you know, polishing it up, everything I need to polish up on, uh, working on my 40. And uh, that's that's all I can say, man, just getting ready, you know, getting ready for that next thing. And uh, just hopefully whenever they see me, you know, it'll be – I'll be impressing them even more. Uh, a couple more questions for you, Terrace, and I really appreciate the time. Um, one would be, you know, what weight did you play at this past season? And have you received any feedback on, you know, what weight you're going to play at in the NFL or what weight we are working to right now? Uh, I haven't received any feedback on, you know, any uh, any requirements or whatever. But, uh, I mean, I, I plan to weigh in at 210 on Pro Day. Oh, uh, nice. that, was, that was pretty much my plan weight last year from 206 to 210. Uh, I mean, any weight b- between there is good weight for me. Uh, I don't really feel the difference. But I plan on uh, weighing in at 210. Yeah, 215, you go to Waffle House first, man. I got that recommendation for you. <laughs> Last one I have for you, and I like asking prospects this, is you know this yeah. question of, like, what's your why? You know, Why are right. you, you know, going through all this sacrifice to play football, putting your right. body through these things and all of that stuff? Football is, is a very difficult sport. You know, it takes ultimate sacrifice to be as good as you are at it, even at the level you're at now, and obviously pursuing greater lengths in the NFL. What is your motivation to play the game? I got a couple, man. Uh, with number one being, you know, since my pops put me in sports at five years old, you know, I always found the love and that passion for the game. And uh, as I continue to get better, uh, I, I constantly see, you know, what type of ceiling I got. And, uh, I see it and I see no ceiling. So uh, I just want to be the greatest to ever do it. You know, that's a lot to say, but uh, I feel like I can, you know, I can work towards that. And uh, second, man, I just want to retire my parents, you know, every day working, you know, waking up, you know, seeing, seeing the struggle some days and uh you know definitely seeing them trying to hide it so uh i mean i, I just want to make sure my parents straight you know make sure my family good and don't have to want for nothing because you know they always made sure i, I didn't want for nothing. can definitely respect that man i really appreciate the time like i said and i wish you the best of luck moving forward yes sir appreciate you now joining the two for one drafts podcast is former Oklahoma State wide receiver Thailand Wallace. I know you're out there in Stillwater right now, Thailand, enjoying Thailand, Thailand, enjoying a really good Friday. How you doing, man? I'm good. Good. How about you? Doing great, man. You know, out here in Cincinnati, weather's not too bad, so you know we're, we're keeping it keeping it okay here. Where what where I really want to start, man, is is what you've been up to kind of since you left Oklahoma State and have been preparing for what I think is a, what April first, April second pro day at Oklahoma State. What drills are you working? What are you doing from a weight perspective, diet perspective? How are you preparing for that pro day? 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, I just recently got back, actually. I was at Exos in Frisco, Texas, and um, I was kind of working out there, doing everything there, but um, it went really well. Uh, we had a kind of our mini pre-combine uh, workout this uh, past weekend, and uh, it went really well for me. But, um, you know, as far as that goes, uh, the experience has been really nice. Um, you know, as far as a diet and everything goes, they try to get me on a diet, but, uh, you know, that's taken me a little bit of work to, to get into. You know, I'm not really used to it, but... Um, you know, everything, I've been working every drill, really, uh, just trying to get ready to impress everybody, all the scouts and everything. So um, I can't, you know, it, it went really well down to Exos, but I just got here to Stillwater, so I'll be training here. And, and what weight did you play this past season at? And then what weight are you kind of working up to this offseason? Uh, I was hit, I was at about 193 whenever I played this past season. And um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I'm trying to, you know, just kind of keep it pretty smooth or even with that weight. And have you received any feedback from teams about, like, do they want you to bulk up? I know some guys are like, we want you to add 30 pounds. I know that's probably not where you're at, but do you have any feedback on, like, where teams want to see you play? Uh, actually, when I, uh, when I talked to them, they really didn't say anything like that. They just asked me, like, what, uh, what weight did you play at or what weight do you feel most comfortable? And I kind of just tell them, like, you know, whatever weight I feel comfortable at. So I kind of just tell them that. They don't really tell me if I need to get, you know, bigger or anything like that. There you go, man. I want to turn back the clocks a little bit and focus on kind of your recruiting background, you know, four-star recruit coming out um, in the 2017 recruiting class. And you also, you know, were a big multi-sport athlete, you know, played basketball, track and field, finished fifth in the state and triple jump as a junior. You were the guy in high school. It sounds like your high school background was, was quite the one and you received a ton of different offers and ultimately made that decision to go to Oklahoma state. How was that recruiting process and your, your preps career really prepare you for Oklahoma state? Yeah, uh, the whole recruiting process was it went pretty good for me, um, you know, but as uh, coming out of high school, me, I have a twin brother that I played with and, you know, me and him were a, kind of a package deal and we kind of made that clear towards everybody. So, um, you know, unfortunately, it kind of changed things up a little bit. He ended up tearing his ACL his junior and senior year. So, you know, obviously with me still playing, I pulled in uh, more offers, different offers from different places. And, um, you know, actually Oklahoma State was one of the first schools to offer us. And um, so we thought, you know, that was definitely an option. So we took a visit down there and we just, we just loved it. You know, the people, the the atmosphere out there, it was just different, you know, um, and we, we enjoyed it a lot. So uh, that kind of, it really wasn't much of a choice. We took that one visit and we were like, okay, you know, I think this is where we want to be. So, um, you know, just going through that whole process and, you know, it, it was a different uh, process that me and him being a joint, you know, um, deal I guess or package deal but it, it was definitely exciting exciting time and, and going to you know your career at Oklahoma State what I found interesting is you played almost exclusively outside receiver you know played over you know 800 snaps at outside receiver in 2018 400 in 2019 500 in 2020 played a ton of outside receiver and won consistently with your explosiveness at outside receiver have teams talked to you about positional alignment at the next level do they see you as a versatile piece that can move in the slot stay outside or do they kind of exclusively see you as this kind of outside type so yeah from what i'm hearing um you know i'm hearing you know obviously it's different from team to team but uh, a lot of them are saying you know they see me a lot you know going back and forth maybe outside maybe a little bit in the slot but um you know when i went to the senior bowl that was kind of a thing that you know they told us that you know kind of teams or you know scouts whoever they want to see uh you go in the slot a little bit more and so you know, I went to the senior bowl, did that a little bit. I, and it felt really good. It didn't feel bad at all. You know, I was expecting, like, it to feel weird or something like that, but it felt pretty natural. So, um, you know, as far as that goes, I, I see myself kind of playing outside and in the slot as well. Talk to me more about your senior bowl experience and kind of what you took away from being around those coaches, being, you know, going against top-level competition in the one-on-ones. What, do, what were some of the key takeaways you had from go, your trip to Mobile? 
Yeah, uh, man, I was so happy uh, that, you know, Jim Nagy, the guy who hosts that, uh, puts that whole thing together, got me out there. You know, it was a really great experience. Um, had a great time out there. But uh, that whole whole process was definitely um, – it was it was different. You know, obviously being out there trying to learn NFL playbooks. And, you know, we only have a week out there, so uh, you have a short amount of time to kind of re- uh, retain all the information and go out and execute. But um, it was really eye-opening a little bit, I guess you would say, just not knowing really what to expect and that given that – whole process giving you a little taste of what it's like at the next level and how things are run but it was a really great experience um especially going out there competing with all the guys all around the, all around the country you know your their names you hear about and you know you see but you never really you know put a face to the name or put a name yeah so that was a really great experience so it was really exciting to get out there and compete with everybody you know something that stands out for pff when we kind of look at your profile and obviously a lot of what pff does is evaluating players both at the nfl level and you know the nfl direct you know prospects and collegiate level a big strength that we see for your game is explosiveness you know explosive that explosiveness at a line of scrimmage explosiveness out of your breaks do you feel like that is kind of your calling card or what separates you in this class because that's the third party that's pff on the outside looking in i'd love to hear from you what you feel like your biggest strengths are what really separates you in this receiving class yeah, obviously, I think, uh, you know, I'm, you're right on point with that. I feel like my explosiveness for sure is definitely one of my strengths. And, you know, I think the way uh, my my ball skills, I think, is one of a really big strength that I think I have as well. You know, be whether it's um, running through the catch, uh, high point in the football, tracking it, whatever that is, you know, just ball skills in general, I think, is a really good strength that I have in mind. I definitely think you have to add the contested catchability, the ball skills, how you attack the ball in the air. That's something that I think any highlight tape that goes on Twitter with Tyline Wallace's name on it, it shows just what you can do attacking the ball in the air. I'd love to hear more about, too, you know, the stuff that people don't see. You know, People see the highlights, people see the touchdowns, but what goes into each week for you when you're preparing for an upcoming opponent? How much film are you watching? What exactly are you looking for on film? What does the practice schedule look like? You, know, you talk to some guys who do red zone work later in the week, one-on-ones on Tuesday. I'd be interested to know kind of your process as you prepare for an upcoming opponent. Yeah, so I mean, uh, like you were kind of saying, we kind of do it in that way. So we get Mondays off. So Mondays is kind of like the day to go watch film, take care of your body, you know, things like that. Get mentally ready, I guess, for the week. Um, yeah, Tuesdays is normally the day where we have one-on-ones and, uh, you know, just high high volume amount of reps and things like that, you know, just a, kind of the install day and, you know, just kind of, you know, get that knife sharpened for the rest of the week. And, um, yeah, throughout the rest of the week, it's kind of just uh, helmet shoulder pad days. That's really more for, you know, getting yourself mentally ready and staying in shape and things like that. But um, that's kind of, I guess you would say, how the week kind of goes. And, um, you know, that I think that whole process of how they put you through a week and trying to, you know, having the coaches there, having meetings with them helps you be able to do it on your own. Because um, one thing that I do say I want to work on for the next level is trying to uh, be a better you know, a uh, film junkie, I guess I would say, and then learning how to break down the film the proper way and, you know, the way that it benefits me, not just going out and watching myself just run around. And, and how much, you know, because like releases are a big, you know, talked about part of receivers game. And I think a lot of when I talk to receiver prospects, they bring up film almost first and foremost, you know, looking at what a cornerback does from a tendency standpoint to get set up certain releases and those things. Is that something that you're looking for when you're watching a cornerback or something? Yes, definitely as well. I mean, yeah, I, there's so many. I mean, you everything, you know, you need is really on tape. But uh, especially those, you know, just going and watching guys, especially in the league, that's a real easy thing to do is just go kind of watch a certain guy, like whether it's Devontae Adams, you know, Stephon Diggs, whoever it is, you know, just go in and just watch them release off the line. You don't even have to watch the whole play if you don't want to. But, you know, just doing that and trying to be just be more creative when it comes to things like that. I mean, those are just that's just an easy way to go out there and get that done.
Are there some guys in the NFL that you feel like you cater your game after? Do you watch a ton of, say, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, and feel like you can do a lot of the same things they can? Uh, you know, I, I've been trying to get you actually more into that. You know, I haven't really just sat and I can say I really just went and studied this one guy and tried mm-hmm. to follow my after him. But um, I would say, you know, um, growing up, I think I, I watched a lot of Des Bryant. You know, I you know, being from Fort Worth, Texas, and, you know, the Cowboys was, you know, my team. So, I watched a lot of him growing up and the way he high pointed the football kind of, you know, made me, you know, inspired me to, you know, play, play receiver that same way. So um, that's kind of a little thing that I guess if you had to say, I chose anybody to be him. Yeah. I mean, Des Bryant's ball skills, obviously absurd, but he also, and he's, I mean, his, his frame a little bit bigger than yours, but he played big. And I feel like when you turn on your tape, you see yourself play big, maybe even bigger than, you know, where you, you know, your stature maybe suggested. I think that's where Des Bryant really had a ton of success. I think that's a great player uh, to bring up for your game. Um, you know, wh- what I want to finish up with here is really talk about your, your motivation to play the game, you know, why you play football, you know, football involves a ton of sacrifice. You know, you talk a lot of prospects who have had to do so much to get to this point, even this point in their football careers to even advance that to go to the NFL and do all the sacrifice there what exactly is your motivation what is your why to continue to play football you know it's it's uh I guess you could say it's a number of things but I think the number one reason for me is kind of just I I truly just enjoy it you know uh, just going out there and 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 playing the game you know I if I can just kind of just sit around all day and throw a football around with like for, for hours you know it's just I just really enjoy the game you know I feel like that's a you know, an answer that a lot of guys, you know, tell everybody, but I don't know. For me, I feel like that's like, I really mean it when I say that. I don't know. But, um, you know, obviously it's the things, that's the, the main reason, but obviously, you know, uh, my, I think I kind of owe it, you know, my brother, he's unfortunately not able to play anymore. So, you know, I know he would give anything to be able to, you know, step on the field again. So for me, it's, it's, uh, that's also another reason, but, you know, it's, I think it's a, a lot of reasons why. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, I wish you the best of luck moving forward and I really appreciate you setting aside the time. Oh, yeah. Thank you.